0: Come on, church, let's give the Lord a praise offering today. How many of you know that God is good? Before you're seated, just before you're seated, let me say this. This song says, you called my name, and I came out of that grave. Here's what I want you to know. If you're here today, and you do not know Jesus, you know, as you've never given your life to him, maybe it's because you thought he didn't know your name. Here's what I want you to know. I believe that God will be calling some today by name. He knows your name. He calls you out of the life that you've been living, and he calls you to a new, different life. Just like you heard this testimony of this young lady getting baptized. He's calling some of you. And today, as I preach, some of you are gonna hear your name in your special way, calling you unto himself. At the end of this service, I'm gonna give an invitation for those that need to give their life to Christ. You've never done that. You've never been baptized. And if you hear your name while I'm preaching, know the Spirit of God is calling you I believe that some of you will need to respond at the end of this service as God speaks directly and particularly to you. Father, I thank you that you know every person in this auditorium. I thank you that you've known our name. You were there the day that we were born. You've loved us, called us. You've called out our name even when we turned our back on you. You've given us signs. You've put people in our lives. You've drawn us. You've spoken to us in the middle of the night when we could not go to sleep, some not even knowing that it was God speaking to them. I thank you, Father, that you love us with an irresistible love. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts today in ways that we can understand, in ways that we comprehend, Father. And I ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen and amen. (laughs) Amen. You may be seated now. Great to have you at New Life Community Church today. We always expect that God would speak, that God would move, and today is no exception. I'm gonna be talking to you about not living with fear. In fact, I've entitled this message, Stop Living in Fear. Stop living in fear. Everyone in this auditorium fears something We don't all fear the same things, but we have fears. I've seen people that can be very, very brave in certain circumstances, but then shrivel in fear in other circumstances. My wife is five foot tall. We're exactly one foot apart. She's five foot, I'm six foot. And she's a petite woman, but she can be super bold and courageous when she has to. I've seen her talk to 250 pound men, shriveled up like this when she's telling them how they better treat their wives or their girlfriends in a new way. And I've just seen them, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And never let me see you talk to her again like that. Yes, ma'am. But this brave little powerhouse, that I call my wife. She's got a real issue with bugs. Real issue. Spiders, specifically. And so not too long ago, I heard this shriek come out of her, like I thought, "Uh uh-oh, someone broke in the house, she's yelling, ah, ah, Mark! And so I put on my hero cape and I ran out to rescue her. Where's the invader? What's going on here? And she was pointing to the corner in our house, a Bob, a spider! I said, don't worry, hon, I got this. I went over there, and it was just a piece of black lint. <laughs> you see, fear is strange because it's not always based on reality. And some of us can be gripped by fear that's based on bad information or non reality, but nonetheless, the feeling of fear is just as real as if it were based in reality. We live in a season and a time where there is fear swirling around our nation, in households, in neighborhoods, in Chicago. In fact, we live in a season and time where I've seen more people. Wrestle with panic attacks, anxiety, stress over our future, over the pandemic, over masks, over vaccination, over wars and rumors of wars. There's a lot of fear. In fact, the group of people that's been affected most by fear is the teenagers and college age. An escalation in anxiety, isolation, stress, and fear. Many people struggling with mental health issues because of the fear that is swirling around our society. And so I don't think there's a more appropriate passage in all of scripture than 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, because I'm convinced that some of you need to break out of a fear-based mentality, and I think that these powerful principles found in 2 Timothy chapter 1 will help some, even today, grasp a new understanding that will help break you out of a fear-based mentality, these verses this letter that we call 2 Timothy was written to a young man appropriately enough by the name of Timothy and Timothy was living in an era where he was surrounded by a very secular anti-christian world culture and there was a lot of fear in his life and in the church in fact 2 Timothy is the last of Paul's letters and was written from a prison in Rome during the years 8064 to 8068. Now, those of you that know a little bit about history know that this is about 30 years after the crucifixion and death of Jesus and his resurrection. So 30 years after Christianity for three decades has been growing, uh, it expanded into Rome. Uh, People have come to know Christ. The Apostle Paul is at the end of his life. He was imprisoned one time. It tells us in the end of the book of Acts, he was released, and then it appears he was imprisoned again. He's writing his last letter, his last book to young Timothy. Most scholars believe that shortly after this, he was beheaded in Rome. Now, Timothy is a young leader living in a very volatile society full of fear in fact some of you that know history may remember that in july 18th of AD 64, rome that was the known capital of the world at that time caught on fire in fact there was a huge fire in Rome. And at that time, Rome was the center of the known world. The Roman empire ruled the world. The emperor was the basically king of the universe at that time. And so Rome caught on fire and a third of Rome burned down. Well, the emperor at that time that was known as the crazy emperor, his name was named Nero. A lot of the population started blaming the burning of Rome on Nero. Many people thought that he set it on fire on purpose to wipe out part of Rome so that he could build new palaces. And as thousands of people died, thousands of people were homeless, Nero decided to shift the blame that was being pointed at him And he decided to put it on a small group of people that were misunderstood by most of society. It was a growing group of people called Christians. So as all of Romans was up in an uproar, Nero said, it was the Christians. It's their fault. Historians verify this, by the way. And so he unleashed a persecution on Christians. In fact, he made it illegal to be a Christian in that era and he unleashed the most vicious persecution on Christians up until that time. They would literally get Christians and wrap them in uh, leather and for sport, throw them in arenas and watch wild dogs tear Christians apart. Uh, They would torture them. They would tar them and put them on post and burn them alive so that their flames could light up his night parties. It was open, open hunting on Christians during that time, 64 AD, and young Timothy was a pastor leader in that era. Imagine that. It's illegal to be a Christian. Your mentor's in prison. Uh, People are looking to get you. And on top of that, young Timothy was not what you would consider this bold, courageous leader. He seems to be sickly. It tells us, Paul says, drink some wine for your your frequent illnesses. He was sickly. He was insecure. He seemed to be timid. And his father was not a believer, so he grew up in a mixed household. So he's writing to a young man, that's a leader living in, a, in an era where the entire Christian community is shaken by fear. So, that's the context of 2 Timothy. And so we jump in to 2 Timothy chapter two. I'm gonna be re- reading verses two through five. It says to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, peace, from God the Father, and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also if you're taking notes I want you to write this down there are three things I believe that you need to remember if you're going to live above a fear-based mentality number one write this down this is very important listen to me you are deeply deeply valued you are Deeply valued. Most of our fear arises out of a sense of not knowing who we are. And a misconstrued perspective of reality. People that struggle with deep anxiety and fear oftentimes don't know who they are. Oftentimes don't have a great sense of self-identity. They haven't been told Their value, their worth, the power of their decisions. And so oftentimes they're gripped by fear. I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul addresses young Timothy. Here's an older gentleman that's lived a lot of his life, he's a powerhouse, he's done miracles. Uh, He's known as the Apostle Paul. He started churches. He's uh, this iconic, powerful, powerhouse of a man looked up to by many. Thousands have come to Christ through his testimony, yet he is training and raising this timid, insecure young man to be a leader. Now, Paul was single. He was celibate. He chose not to get married. And notice what he says. He calls Timothy, my beloved son. He thanks God for Timothy's life. He prays for him on a consistent basis. He misses him and remembers his tears and longs to see him. He tells Timothy that seeing him would bring great joy to his life. He reminds Timothy that he has has a destiny to be lived out because he's seen the faith of his grandmother and the faith of his mother, and he believes the same faith lives in him. You know what Paul is doing? The Apostle Paul is basically speaking value and identity into Timothy's life you know there's nothing that shapes us more than our self-identity some of you in fact are here today and you struggle with fear about the world because of how you were raised you never grew up having a great sense of who you are in fact maybe you weren't affirmed your manhood your womanhood who you are, and you grow up being afraid of the world because if you don't know who you are, you don't know how to interact with the world. You walk into a place like this and you wonder, am I dressed right? Are people going to like me? What are people going to think of me? Am I saying the right words? Will I know how to sing? Will I be accepted? I don't want people to talk to me because what if I don't respond the right way? That's insecurity. That's fear. That's, that's a not a great established sense of identity. Uh, people that appra- approach the world with a lot of fear, oftentimes it's because they've never been told who they are. They've never been told that they can conquer the world, challenge the world. They've never been told who they are in the world. They've never been affirmed in their gifting. They've never been spoken to about their legacy. The faith hasn't been passed down to them. Identity hasn't been uh, spoken into their life, and so they faced the world with a lot of fear. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul says that Timothy, he, he speaks into Timothy and he mentions the faith of his grandmother and the faith of his mother, but notice how he doesn't speak of the faith of his father. And there's a reason because of that. In Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it says that Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra when a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. So in the book of Acts, it tells us that Timothy's father was Greek and his mother was Jewish. His mother was a believer, but it seems to indicate that his father was not a believer. So most scholars believe that Timothy was raised in a household. By the way, Jewish people and Gentiles did not marry. So she would have been somewhat uh, outcast from her family for marrying a Gentile, which means that her Jewish roots were probably weak. She came to Christ, but her husband did not embrace Christianity. So Timothy grew up in a household where his mother was a believer, but his father was not a believer. And I'm sure that his father was not encouraging him following Christ. Uh, there was no godly legacy. Timothy could not look up to a man and say, that's a man of God. Let me follow his example. He had a mother who had faith, but a father who did not have faith. His grandmother had faith. His mother had faith. And they passed that legacy down to Timothy. Hey, can I encourage you, if you're a, if you're a, mother here and your husband is not following Jesus, thank God Timothy became a strong follower of Jesus because of the faith of his mother. (laughs) There's something about the power of legacy. Many of you here did not have parents that were believers. You're first generation Christians. If you had a mother or father that was a believer, I hope that you're here in part because they passed down the faith to you. How many of you are here and you're a first generation Christian? Others, your parents were not uh, followers of Jesus. How many of you are first generation Christians? Raise your hand wave at me. A lot of you are, a lot of you here are. Let me say something to you, first of all. You are a first-generation believer, which means that you are a cycle-breaker legacy-maker. Let me also remind you that if you're a first generation believer, it's a little harder for you because you haven't seen what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, You, when you step into parenthood, you're like, well, what does it mean to raise children in a godly way? And to step into marriage, you haven't seen necessarily a healthy, godly marriage, and so you're learning all this from, from nothing. You're figuring it out and looking around at other people and saying, oh, that's what a godly marriage looks like. So some of you... We're not raised in a Christian household. You come from great dysfunction, and you're learning for the first time, oh, that's not how you raise your child. The Bible says you're supposed to raise it this way. Oh, that's not what a healthy marriage looks like. A godly marriage is this way, so you're learning. And by the way, can I say this? If your mom or your dad are first-generation believers, can I say Please show them a little grace. They're learning this as they go. They're trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to tell you this. It should be easier for your children. Because you've had to fight some battles that they won't have to fight. You've had to wrestle through some things so you hopefully, you're not a perfect parent, but hopefully you're learning some things that they won't have to learn themselves. If you're a second generation believer, in other words, that your parents were believers and they passed the faith on to you and you took on the faith, let me say, there's a power in legacy. So speak about those stories. Your children and grandchildren should know how you're you or your parents came to Jesus. You should tell the stories of how faithful God has been. You should pass on your faith a vibrant, strong, healthy, God fearing faith. There's power in legacy. My parents came to Christ when they were teenagers. My mother. Her father was an alcoholic, but she came to Christ when she was 17. And my father came to Christ when he was 18 at a youth youth event. They didn't know this, but they both came to Christ at the same youth rally. Years later, they would discover, they met and discovered that at the same youth rally, they both got saved. Think about that. God says, I got a sense of humor. I'm going to let them both come to Jesus. That one on that one. And then they're going to get married a few years later. And then my, my parents felt a call. And my, they ended up being missionaries. When I was six months old, they left this country, went to Costa Rica, went to Chile, moved to Spain. So I grew grew up all my life overseas because my parents were driven by faith to live out their faith. My father, when he was 60 years old, he passed away suddenly. He's buried outside of a city in northern Spain where he spent years and years preaching the gospel and leading people to Christ. So every time I go to Spain ever since my kids were small. I would do two things. I would get my mother and drive her to the gravesite, and I would gather my kids around, around grandpa's grave and I would say, hey, I want you to hear the story. I want you to remember that your grandfather right here, he came to Spain out of a love for Jesus. He left everything he knew, his family, his friends, everything he knew and he came to a foreign country, learned a language because he he wanted to tell people about Jesus. And so I tell them the story, and then I always end up saying something like, you know, so you have a legacy. Remember, you're called to live for something more than yourself. You're not called just to pursue the American dream. You're called to pursue the God dream. So make sure that your life counts for Jesus. And I want to encourage you, listen, maybe your parents may not be missionaries or pastors, but if they're followers of Jesus, make sure you tell your story. Your kids and your grandkids should be able to point back to the story and say, Hey, mom or grandmother came to Jesus. And listen, because they came to Jesus, we have been raised in the faith. Because their faith was passed down to us and God doesn't have any grandkids, just kids. Your grandkids and your kids have to choose to follow Jesus on their own but you can set it up to make it easier for them to follow Christ. So Paul says, I remember the faith of your grandmother and of your mother and now that same sincere faith Not made up, not nominal, not just church going, but sincere, real, authentic faith. That faith, Timothy, I see it, it lives in you. And what I want you to understand about this passage is that the Apostle Paul saw potential in Timothy. He didn't have a father to speak into his life to encourage him in his spiritual walk. Timothy became that, Paul became that surrogate father for Timothy. And I want want you to hear this. Listen, Um, he he says in Philippians chapter two, verse 20, I have no one like Timothy. Uh, Timothy was with the apostle Paul when when he wrote Philippians and when he wrote Colossians and he wrote Philemon. Two books of the Bible are dedicated to Timothy. Why? Because Paul saw potential in Timothy that Timothy did not see in himself. Dads can I tell you something and moms can I tell you something? The very first people to see potential in your children is you. Speak it into them. Call it out. Let them know what you see of value. See what no one else sees and speak it into their lives. You say, Pastor, you don't know my kids, man. They got issues. That's all right. I, I know we all, I, I, I'm sure they have issues, but, but let me tell you, but they also have a calling. Oh, Pastor, they got so many problems. Yeah, yeah, but they also have some gifting. Yeah, but they got some, yeah, yeah, but, but remember, if you don't call it out in them, someone else is going to speak into their identity. You are called to speak into their identity. Do it. Do it. You know, I started pastoring when I was uh, very young. I was 21 years old when I started pastoring this church. Way too young. And um, I, I mean, I remember, think about it. I'm 21 years old. I wasn't married at the time yet. I was engaged, but not married. I'm 21. I had. Couples in their 50s with marital problems coming to me. Now, how much confidence would you have in an unmarried 21 year old sitting down and saying, Let me talk to you about your marital problems? They're like this kid. I had uh, people that would tell me, <clears throat> You're the pastor? Yeah. How come you look like you just got out of high school? Said, well, you know, I did. So I remember, as as a young pastor, I tried to dress up a little bit more to make myself look older. Uh, I couldn't grow a beard yet, but I tried to dress up just because people would say you're you, you're too young to be the pastor. Uh, now that I'm already established in pastor, I can dress down now. But uh, back then, I had to dress up a lot. And um, six months into pastoring, I was overwhelmed, and I started thinking, I don't think this is my thing. I, I just I don't think I'm cut out to be a pastor. Probably someone else needs to be the pastor with more maturity, with more gifting. I, I'm too young, I'm dealing with stuff that I am probably shouldn't be dealing with. Someone else should do this. I was doubting my call, I was doubting my ability, I was doubting who I was. And my father, who had planted churches Raised pastors. He was a leader that was respected and looked up to, had years of ministry. I sat down and talked to him. I said, dad, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm called, I don't think I'm cut out to be a pastor. And I'll never forget. He sat down with me and he looked, we were at a little round table and he looked at me and he said, Mark, are you kidding me? The season man of God and my father looks at me and he said, you are a man of God. He said, I see a calling in you that's really strong. Man, you are gifted. He looked at me and he said, I would be privileged for you to be my pastor. I would come under you at a moment knowing that you're a man of God called of God. It would be my honor to have you as my pastor that was a life changer I needed to hear that listen he was calling something out in me that I didn't see in myself mentors do that fathers do that spiritual mentors call out what you don't even see in yourself but they see it already Maybe not fully developed, but the Apostle Paul was calling out in Timothy, the man of God that he saw Timothy become because Timothy didn't have a father to do it. And so the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I see your calling. You're a man of God. You are valuable. You count. God is going to use you. Timothy, I see that in you. Can I say something to you? Listen, we need mentors spiritual mentors, to speak into the hearts, souls, and lives of the next generation. Start with your children, but it doesn't end with your children. It goes to other generations as well. And so I want to challenge you. If you're not mentoring, some of you need to step up to the plate and mentor. We had some people mentor to baptism. If you've never mentored someone, a new believer towards baptism, what a great opportunity to speak into the life and destiny of others. God has saved you, grown you. You need to have the boldness to mentor someone else and ground them in their faith and speak into their destiny because it could change, it could literally change their destiny. Number two, write this down. Not only do you need to understand that you are deep, deeply valued? But remember, you are gifted by God. Look what it says in verse six. For this reason, because of the faith that I saw in your grandmother, and then in your mother, and now in you, and it's sincere, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The second thing I want you to understand is that you are gifted. Every single one of you, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you've given your life to Christ, you have a gift that's given to you by God that helps you pursue the purpose and the call that God has upon your life. You are gifted. Whether you see your gifts or not, you're gifted. Tell the person beside you, you're gifted. Tell the person on the other side, you're gifted. Now here's the problem. The problem is sometimes we're gifted, but we don't know what our gifts are, and so we start to doubt. If you, if you compile a person that's insecure and doesn't know their value... And although they're gifted, they don't understand that they're gifted, then you'll have a lot of people that have a lot to offer, but don't know how much they have to offer. They will let their their gifts lie dormant. And I see so many people that because of fear, don't allow God to use them. They're not leading a small group. They're not leading someone to Christ. They're not sharing their faith. They're not stepping up to the challenge. They're not uh, going ahead and getting that degree. They're not starting that business. They're not uh, pursuing that relationship. Why? Because they're gripped by fear and insecurity, and they don't understand that God has gifted them. The Bible says that Paul says to Timothy, for this reason, fan into flame the gift uh, another translation says, kindle afresh. The word gift there comes from the Greek charisma. Uh, nowadays, when someone uh, is a leader that draws people, we say, oh, that person has a lot of charisma. Well, what you may not know is that that is, comes from the Greek word charisma. Uh, we use it to say, hey, that person is Charismatic. And when we're talking about personality, we mean a personality that's attractive, When we're talking about theology, we're talking about it's a charismatic church, a church that operates in all the gifts of the spirit, but it comes from the word, it comes from the word charisma and the root of the word charisma is charis, which means grace. Now grace means something that's given to us that we don't earn or deserve. So hear me well. Your gift that you have from God, you haven't earned it, you haven't deserved it, God just decided to give it to you. You don't have a bigger gift because you're better or more holy, God gives this gift as he chooses to give his gifts. That's what grace is. It's something that we don't earn, we don't deserve, but God gives to us. In the New Testament, we find about 19 gifts of the Spirit. I don't know which gifts you have, but I know you have a gift. And I know you have a gift to be used of God. Some of you are encouragers, some of you have mercy, some of you have administrative gifts, some of you may have the gift of healing, some of you may have the gift of whatever gift it is that, may God, that God may have given you, but it's a gift that God has given you, and some of you have this incredible gift that you're not using. Why? Because you're full of fear and insecurity. How could God use me? And what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy is, Timothy, fan the gift, because you need to fan into to flame the gift. How many of you are campers here? Very few people in Chicago are campers. So since you're not campers, let me assume that you probably don't know a lot about campfires, but just in case you don't, what happens with a campfire, if you let a campfire go for too long, in the middle of the night you may wake up and there's only embers. And the only way to fan a flame is you need two things. You need extra combustion, which means logs or branches, and you need oxygen, which fuels it. So if you're gonna fan your, your gift, you need combustion, something that adds fire to it, and you need oxygen, listen. The combustion to your gift is the word of God, solid teaching, good, solid wood on your fire. It is the oxygen, is the power of the spirit blowing upon you. When you worship God, when you get around people that are passionate about God, when you say, here I am, use me God, you are allowing yourself to fan into flame the gift that is in you. Some of you need to get out and start doing something. You've been coming to church. You've been receiving. You've been hearing. Some of you have the mentality that I come to church to receive, but can I tell you something? When you discover that you have a gift, when you discover that you have something to give, you will not be coming to church just to receive. You'll be coming to church to say, who can I minister to today Some of you were raised in a church where you looked at the priest, the rabbi, or the pastor as the holy person. And you thought that it was your job just to come and cheer on the holy person. But that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity, we all have received the Holy Spirit and we all have gifts. Did you notice who baptized the person that got baptized today? Was it a pastor? No. When we... Do communion. It's not just the pastors that serve communion. We baptize, we lead people to Christ. Why? Because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe that every single one of us have gifts that could be used of God, that you can pray for people, that you can lead people to Christ, you can baptize people, you can serve communion, you can teach a Bible study. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. And imagine what happens when a church like ours, everybody discovers their gifts and starts using their gifts and fanning in the flame their gifts. We become an irresistible, unstoppable force because it's not just one or two pastors that are out there doing the ministry. It's thousands of people that are part of New Life Community Church called of God, empowered by God, inspired by God, with gifts of God, serving other people. We become an unstoppable God force. Paul tells Timothy, fan the flame. This gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is symbolic of giving authority. And so when elders are called, we lay hands on them. It's symbolic of, hey, we are, we are delegating authority to someone. The Bible says don't lay hands on anybody too soon. If they're too young or unproven, so they, not, so they don't get presumptuous or proud. And then it goes on to tell us, listen this. Number three, and lastly, remember, not only that you are deeply valued, you are gifted by God, but lastly, and this is probably the most important point, so are you still with me? You're not thinking about lunch yet? Not thinking about who's winning the Bears game? Okay, stay with me now. for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The English Standard Version says this way, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Now, the Apostle Paul told Timothy that he's valued. He told Timothy that he has a gift, And now he concludes this thought by telling him, Timothy, you have been given the spirit of the living God that lives inside of you. If your life is driven by fear, it means that you're not walking in the spirit because you have not been given the spirit of fear. Listen, listen, look up at me. If you are dominated by fear, it is not God that's dominating you your thinking. If you live your life constantly gripped by fear that is not of the Spirit of God, you are not allowing yourself to be filled with the Spirit. How do you know when you're filled with the Spirit? The Bible says the Spirit, when He comes into your life, He brings three things, power, love, and discipline. What three things does the Spirit of God bring to your life? Say it with me. Power, love, and discipline. There's three Greek words. Dunamis, agape, and sophranismas. Dunamis means power. It's where we get the word dynamite from. Agape, there's various forms of love in the Greek. Eros, filios, agape is unconditional love. And sophranismas means self-control or self-discipline to our life. Listen to me well, I got to wrap this up because I'm running out of time, but let me preach this well as I finish up. If you have the spirit of God inside of you, if you have the spirit of God inside of you, it's going to show up because you have power to do things that you would never be able to do in your natural flesh. You say, well, pastor, I tend to be a shy, timid person. I don't know what happened to me at work. Someone started asking me about life and God, and I opened up, I opened up my mouth, and I started sharing with them with words that I didn't even know I had, with the boldness that I didn't know I had. I'm not sure what happened there. I know what happened. It's called the Holy Spirit. I was trying to forgive this person. I thought I could never forgive this person. And suddenly, I had the power to say, I forgive you. I don't know what happened. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the power of the Holy Spirit is a dunamis power that allows you to do things that you could never do in your own power. Jesus told his church, wait, for you shall receive power from on high, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them power to live what they couldn't live on their own, and power to be witnesses unto me, even unto the ends of the earth." So you have power. A believer with, that has no power is not a believer that's filled with the Spirit. But secondly, I want you to understand that it's not just about power. There are people that appear to have power, but if they have no love, let me tell you, they're not filled with the Spirit. They may be filled with self-confidence, their own stuff, or presumption, but you cannot, you cannot uh, speak with power, you cannot act like you have power if you're casting out demons, but you hate people. It's not the Spirit of the living God. Listen to me, believers are filled with love which means they care for people, it means they passionately care for the, the downtrodden, the low, it means they care for how people are, it means they look out for people, you cannot say that you are a believer filled with the Spirit and you can't stand the people around you. Listen, you can't be a husband filled with the spirit and you curse and criticize and are critical of your wife and call her the B word. No, you can't do that. If you're filled with the spirit of God, he fills you with love and it dominates your relationships. A church that has no love, I don't care how sound they are in their doctrine, is not a church that's filled with the spirit. i run into people that say, power, pastor, it's all about power and the power, and I'm gonna power, and they're always talking about casting out demons and this, and when they pray, they pray real loud and spit a lot when they pray, and yeah, and I'm gonna get the devil and the devil, but they can't get along with people. They're always fighting with people. Let me tell you, that's not the spirit of God. Power and love. Love means forgiveness. It means conscious of how other people are. It means that we care about other people. It means how we treat the little people matters to God. Don't tell me how much you know about the Bible. I want to see how you treat the waitress that then bring you your order at the right time. That's what really shows me where you're at. Power, love, and lastly, a sound mind or discipline or self-control it means that ability to be under the control of the spirit it means that you fight the flesh. You don't say whatever comes to your mind. It means you're not giving into just your blatant sexual desires. It doesn't. It means that you don't eat how much you want to eat, sleep how much you want to sleep, have sex or out of control sex or however you want to have. It means that your body's under control. It means that you're under the self-discipline of the spirit because you're living not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So what are you living? You're living with power. You're living with love and you're living with self-discipline discipline, or self-control in your life. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, don't be gripped by fear, but instead be filled with power, love, and a sound mind. And Then he goes on to verse 8. I don't have time to get into it, but he says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells them how to be a bold witness. And by the way, let me close with this. It's not in the Bible But historians tell us that this young, shy, insecure Timothy eventually grew up to be the bishop of Ephesus. In other words, he started and oversaw a bunch of churches there. You know how he died? They tell us that he died because there was a procession of pagan, wild pagan party celebrating idolatry, coming down the street, a mob of people, and he stood up in front of them and said, reject your idols, turn to the one true and only living God, and the mob turned on him and beat him to death right there. And I'm saying, what happened to shy, insecure Timothy? He became a bold, courageous man of God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. As we close our time together, there's two types of people I'm inviting forward here today. We call this the altar, it's the steps, really just carpeted steps. But aren't you glad we put carpet on it so you don't have to kneel on cement? This summer we met in a hot asphalt and saw people come to Jesus kneeling on hot cement. But I wanna challenge you if you're here today And you say, Pastor Mark, I've never given my life to Jesus. But I saw that woman that got baptized. I heard her story. I've never made a clear decision to follow Christ like she did. The Bible says that we have to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. You say, well, I've been a Christian all my life. I was sort of born a Christian. No, you weren't. There's no such thing as people being Christians all their life. There's a decision you make to follow Christ. The Bible calls it being born again. You celebrate a birthday because you know you're born or weren't born. I never go up to anybody and say, hey, was the baby born? Well, we're not sure. It's kind of born, more or less born, not really born. No, if your baby was born, it's either born or not born yet. You know following Jesus Christ you make a decision you turn away from the way you've been living you turn to Jesus and say I believe that Jesus you are all God and all man and died on a cross and that only you can save me because you are Savior and Lord And in the moment that I receive you and surrender my life to you, the Holy Spirit comes inside of me with power, love, and of a sound mind. You forgive me of my sins, and now I have the power to start living for you. I'm no longer in control of my life. You are God. That's what it means to become a follower of Jesus. It's not about joining a church. It's about following a Savior. And I believe that every Sunday God brings people to us that need to give their life to him. Maybe you've been, you're, maybe you're not even sure why you're here this morning, but as you've heard me speak, it's dawning on you. You know that you have never clearly chosen to follow Jesus and that maybe today's your day to say, yes, I'm choosing to follow you. And as soon as I can, I'll get baptized as well. So I'm gonna invite you. There's a second group of people that I wanna to talk to as well. If you're a Christian already, and you say, Pastor, I've been living under a spirit of fear. I haven't been using my gifts, I haven't been stepping, I've been living with insecure and fear, and I'm praying that God would fill me. I need power, love, and of a sound mind. I'm praying that I would not let fear dominate me anymore, but that I'll start living like Timothy, fanning into flame my gifts and being used of God, because that's my desire. As the musicians sing, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never given my life to Christ, but I believe God is calling me to say yes to him today. I've never surrendered my life. I've never bowed my knee. I've never said, Jesus, come and be my Lord and Savior. I've never done that and gotten baptized. But I believe that God is saying, I need to do that. I I, I believe that it's my day to give my life to Christ. If that's you right now, I want you, wherever you're standing, wherever you're standing, just to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to give my life to Christ today. I believe it's my day to give my life to Christ. I'm going to look around for a little bit. I can't see everybody. Just raise your hand. Raise it high so I can see you. Okay? All right, any other hands? Any other people that say I need to give my life to Christ? Okay, I see another hand over there. All right, I'm gonna ask you to do this. Pastor Mike, where are you? Pastor Mike is gonna be right here. I'm gonna ask in a moment as we start singing, if you need to give your life to Christ, that you would make your way out of your seat, and that you would come to Pastor Mike and you say, pray with me today, I wanna give my life to Christ. Pray with me today. I want to give my life to Christ. It takes boldness to do so, but I'm ask that, asking that you would be bold. In fact, let me give you a head start before other people come to the altar. If you raise your hand and you say, I want to give my life to Christ, I'm going to ask, I'll allow you to get out of your seat right now. I saw a couple of hands. Anybody make their way right now? Over to Pastor Mike. Yeah. Yeah. God bless you, sir. All right, Pastor Mike is going to be over here. If some other people need to give their life to Christ, he's going to be waiting for you right over there. Yeah, just make your way from the overflow wherever you're at because if someone needs to give their life to Christ, we want them to. If you are here today and you say, I need to fan into flame the gift that's inside of me. I'm not being used the way I know I need to be used. I've allowed fear to hold me back and I'm praying that God would give me a fresh fresh empowerment of power, love, and of self-discipline, then I'm going to ask that you would make your way to the altar. If that's what you're saying, I need to fan the flame of my gifts so that God can use me. Then I'm going to ask that that you get out of your seat right now and that you would just kneel right over here and say, God, I'm asking that you would use me in a fresh way. Fan the flame inside of me all over this auditorium. All right, there's some people still coming to give their life to Christ. There are people saying, I need to fan the flame. God, I'm asking that you use me. This altar's open. I have a sense, even right now, there's a young man in this place, I don't know who you are, but I have a sense that there's a young man in this place That you have a gift and a calling at one time you sensed it was strong, but you've allowed fear and you've allowed the flesh to die out that calling. And I'm calling it out even right now. God is saying, No, fan it into flame. You allowed the fear and the flesh, the fear and the flesh, sin, to douse that sense of calling and gifting. And God is saying, Now it's time to repent. It's time to fan it into flame and allow God to use you. Every single believer in Jesus Christ in this place, every single believer, you have a gifting and a call, and you should be using it. You should be using it for God. Yes, Father. Come, Lord Jesus. Blow, Spirit of the living God. Fan into flame the gifts that are here. Let's sing.